0: The following audio is from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Acts is available at ActsChurchLeander.com.
1: The message that uh, Pastor Pete will be sharing is based on James chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is God's Word.
0: Hey, uh, I'm Pete. If you did not hear the introduction at the start, Steve is, I'm not going to say an old friend, Steve and I and Grace have been friends for a long time. We actually worked in St. Louis together. Uh, I was pastor at a church called St. John, and Grace and I were on staff together. Steve was working with some uh, important areas of ministry and uh, international mission. And so uh, there was a little introduction at the start of the gathering for those of you who uh, came in after that. You're just like Acts Church Lakeway, so that's where I'm a pastor. Um, Everybody comes in about 15 to 20 minutes after I think we're starting. So it actually starts whenever you show up, all right, for you. Um, But it is human nature, isn't it? So uh, with uh, Austin City Limits, um, everything else going on this weekend, it is great to be with you guys. I'm actually pastor at Axe Church Lakeway, and uh, also I'm the head of the Axe Church Network. So it is great to be part of four churches that are uh, really all over the Austin area making a difference. Um, Now, I'm just a guest today. Pastor Josh is out of town doing a wedding Uh, But y'all have been in a, I'm I'm from Texas now, I can say y'all, y'all have been in a series on how to study or to read the Bible. Who's been here for at least one week so far in the series? Ooh, okay, good. So um, I'm going to ask you a few things as we get started. Um, Last weekend, you covered what? Okay, good. Uh, Let's, um, um, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament now and we'll start there. Now, last week, The Gospels, that is, uh, does anybody know what the four Gospels are? What are they? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, okay. And then y'all studied the book of Acts as well. So that was last weekend, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, And my friend Katie is helping us out. Um, Well, the screen is uh, maybe not doing what it's supposed to be be doing, but history, how to read the Bible. Um, Today, Pastor Josh has asked me to talk to you about the epistles. The old joke is the epistles are not the wives of the apostles. Um, They're actually a little bit different. They're letters, all right? So we're going to be talking about the letters today. Um, The first letter in the New Testament is actually the book of what? Romans, all right? So after you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then you're in the book of Romans. So um, my small job today is to take you through Romans 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, um, all the way through Jude, but nobody really reads Jude that much, so uh, at least we don't have to cover that one, right? Steve was ready to read from Jude, and I said, no, 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 let's go to James. Um, So anyway, Jude's a great book, but these are all letters. There are actually 13 of them that were written by one man, and his name is Paul, or the Apostle Paul, Um, 13 of those written by Paul, the other eight written by James, Peter, John, Jude, and whoever wrote Hebrews, we're not sure. Um, But the author of the Hebrews is uh, typically what we call 21 letters addressed to the followers of Jesus. Some of these are written to groups of people, others are written to individual people. Um, But this is what Josh gave me. He said, the epistles reinforce that Jesus Is our Messiah. That's the number one thing. So, after the Gospels, then within just uh, about a generation, all these letters were written, reinforcing the fact that number one, Jesus is truly the Son of God sent from his Father in heaven, the one mediator between God and man who is the man, Jesus Christ. So the epistles reinforce that, that's big. But then they also give us a lot of instruction on just how to live life as followers of Jesus. So there's lots of practical stuff that goes along with that. Well, it is a big task that Pastor Josh has given us. Um, I would call it a Herculean task to cover all of these letters in about 15 minutes. But we wanna prove to Josh that we can do this. Are you ready? Ready? Are you ready to prove it? Okay. We're going to cover the epistles in 15 minutes. So here we go. This is actually about not having you understand everything about the epistles, but really how to go into the Bible to read this section of it, this section called the epistles. Um, So to start uh, with this, we're going to plunge in. Um, Who's got a Bible with them? Yeah, do you have your Bible? Okay. Okay. Um, if you have your Bible, it might look like this. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version, or shorthand NIV, if you're in a Bible app. Uh, a lot of times you, you might use ESV or e- English Standard Version. This is going to be from the New International Version, from uh, not incidentally uh, an epistle, but this is the book of Revelation. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to help you out. This one's going to be on the screen. Not all of them will be, but this just gives, gives you a little chance to pull up the Bible app for you. So take a look at this. My friend Katie's helping us out here. Revelation, look at this. Let's read this together. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Read this out loud with me, would you? Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as the sweetest honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, "You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings." Now, my job is not to help you understand the book of Revelation. There's a lot of picture language. It's kind of this vision that's got truth displayed through it. So, he doesn't actually eat the scroll in real life, but in this vision, uh, in kind of this dream sequence, he actually eats the scroll. This is really important for us. Um, It's actually reinforced in the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 15, Jeremiah the prophet says, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I love your name, O Lord God Almighty. Um, Now, You're not going to get to the book of Revelation until next week, but this passage provides an image for what we're supposed to do with the Word of God. Um, A lot of people try to understand the Bible. Maybe they take a class in college and a professor is telling them all about what the Bible is or is not. That's a terrible way to figure out if the Bible is true. The best way to figure out if the Bible is true is actually to eat it. Uh, so I was sitting at BJ's Brewhouse the other day, and I was working on this message, and I had this book called Eat This Book uh, sitting there on the table, and she came to bring me my pumpkin uh, pie, no, my pumpkin beer, and uh, she saw this book sitting in there, she goes, oh, what's that book about? I said, well, it's really about how you study the Bible. She goes, really? And I go, yeah, you're supposed to eat it. I go, this conversation's not going anywhere. So she dropped off my appetizer and my beer, and she left. I got a little chance to explain to her what it was about, but I said, it's just really about how you go to the Bible. You you don't just try to figure it out, you actually receive it. And so we had just this little quick chat, but that's really how we're supposed to take in the Bible. Actually trying to believe it, trying to live it, is the best way to figure out if the Bible is true. Um, James says it this way, do not merely listen to the word, Steve read these words, do what it says right what i want you to see today is the bible is completely livable it's not meant for your information but for your formation just say that with me the bible is not for your information but for your formation that might help you think about what the bible is about specifically the epistles uh, you might want to think of the Bible as a snack. You might want to think about it as a mirror. But either way, it's meant to give you this image that you don't just uh, read a couple words and then walk away. You actually try to apply it. Um, this little illustration, Francis Chan is, is a, a preacher out in California. And I've heard him talk a few different times. He's written some books. Um, he's got this great story. He tells, uh, he's talking to his son who's in high school. Anybody in high school? Okay, good. Um, He's talking to his 17-year-old son. He says, go clean your room. He's just like, it's a, it's a pigsty. It's a mess. Go clean your room. Uh, a couple hours later, he sees his son, and, he, and his, his son is just all excited. And so Francis Chan says to his son, he goes, hey, uh, did you do it? Did you clean your room? And the son says, dad, I'm, this is such good stuff. He says, I've been thinking about what you said. Go clean your room. <laughs> That's brilliant. He said, in fact, I memorized it. Go clean your room. Isn't that it? And Francis Chan's looking at his son going, what in the world? He says, in fact, dad, he says, I looked it up. I learned how to say it in the original Greek. It's awesome. In fact, I had a few friends come over, and we spent a couple hours discussing what it would look like if I went and cleaned my room. And Francis Chan kind of milks the story for a while, but he makes this great point He says, when the father says to his son, go clean your room, he's actually meant to carry that out. And so why do we think that flies with Jesus when he says to us to obey his word? He says, in fact, Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Because there are people that say, Lord, Lord, yes, 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 but actually don't live it out. And Jesus says, "Um, why would you think that that works? And the starting point must be the very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark are these. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. That's the first action we can possibly do. Simply to take hold in faith of what God has promised. We believe in Jesus. That's a common expression of what Christians do. But that's the starting point. Before we help the poor or feed somebody who's in trouble or maybe serve at Baghdad Elementary School, the first work is to believe the good news. So that's the first action of obedience that we have. Think about how participatory the, the whole scriptures are, all through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into, do you know what this blank is? Practice. Practice. Okay. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Or think about this one. This is from John chapter 20. Jesus says, but these are written that you may believe. Jesus says, a lot of things have been written about me, but he says, these things that you have, these are very important. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, right? Or or this one, this is actually from the epistles, 2 Timothy. All scripture is God breathed and is, do you know what that word is? useful. And if you don't know these blanks, don't worry about it. That's that's not the point. The point is that every one of these things is meant that we're supposed to participate in it. The Bible is totally livable. So in this book, Eugene Peterson, um, eat this book, he writes this. There's this little quote here. You can see it. Um, Christians feed on Scripture, is how he says it. Christians don't simply learn or study or use Scripture. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in company with the Son. This is how you can discern that God's Word is real, not by learning about it, but by living it. And if you've never tried that, I challenge you to begin somewhere and say, Jesus, if you've shown me a truth, I just want to try to live this part out. What is it again that we are eating? Well, apparently the Bible is a two-course meal. You have the first course, and that is a section we call the Old Testament. That's made up of these sections, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. So the law is like the books of the law, Moses, and then the prophets, uh, all these people throughout centuries who spoke God's word, and then the writings, that's like Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Um, that kind of raises the question mark. And then the New Testament is the second chorus, the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles, then we have, um, well, that's really the history, then we have the epistles, and then finally, and you'll be in it next weekend, you have prophecy, prophecy. The story of the scripture, and when you think about it in the broadest stroke, is the story of following Jesus. That's where the whole thing hangs. Um, So, the things that the apostles wrote down were so important that Peter, disciple of Jesus, love that name, wrote this, so I will always remind you of these things even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. There are certain truths that if you don't keep in front of you, they're going to gradually slide away. I don't know if you've ever studied for a test, and then like the next week somebody asks you that, and you go, oh man, Uh, so my sister Judy is here, don't look because she'll be embarrassed. Uh, But we were sitting around uh, my living room yesterday, she's from Chicago, and we were reviewing all the names of the cousins It was great. And we said, this is better for your brain than crossword puzzles. This is really good stuff. But if you don't use stuff, it gradually slips away. There are certain truths that we have to keep in front of us or else they gradually slide away. When we say the creed, we say our profession of faith together. That's because we want to reinforce that. Peter says, you know these things, but I'm going to remind you of them constantly because it's that important. So I was in Manhattan at the beginning of September. Has anybody been to New York City? Been to Manhattan? Okay, um, this is a picture that uh, I took in Times Square. Uh, We were trying to get from point A to point B, and it was you know about four o'clock in the afternoon. It took us forever just because there were so many people, and not just above ground, but underground. There's a whole train system, Um, and so anyway, I was getting, uh, I was going from Manhattan down to Brooklyn, and uh, so I, I was riding the trains. Um, and it is packed on those trains. And I I actually got into a train, and I sat down, and there was one seat that was open, and then there was this this, uh, girl in her 20s. I would say low 20s. And um, again, train's filling up. Usually I would stand, but I actually got a seat. Um, Next stop, a guy gets on about her age, and he sits down. I mean, personal space in the city is different, right? So he sits down between me and the girl. Apparently, they knew each other because he started just lighting into her as the train started moving. Um, I got a lot of their story, which I can't share. There were a lot of words used, which I won't use because they're on tape and Pastor Josh is going to know what I said. Um, But this one particular word got used just about twice every sentence, and he was accusing her of sleeping around. I can say that. All right. He didn't say sleeping around. Um, But... He was accusing her and telling her for three years he knew about what she was doing, what a horrible person it was. And I'm sitting there, I am six inches away from this guy, and they're breaking up in the subway. I'm going, this is incredible. He gets mad, Um, the train's not stopped, so uh, they're obviously broken up by now, but he has an opportunity. So he keeps telling her what a horrible person she is. Finally, mercifully, the train stops, the doors open up, he gets out. And she sits there sniffling. The whole time I'm pretending to be really occupied with my phone. Isn't this what you do? Oh, whoa, look at this. Got to go through some emails. Uh, But the whole time, is this like a train wreck in slow motion going on? She sits sniffling and immediately starts texting, I'm assuming with him. Neither one of them were quite done with it. Next stop, she gets off. And then um, I'm sure that she doubled back to go find him and punch him out. Uh, But that was the end of their part. Now, when I walked off of that train, let me ask you a question. Was I beating myself up over what a horrible person I was? Uh, Was I uh, feeling convicted over the fact that I had been unfaithful? Was I devastated because a key relationship had been terminated? I heard all those things sitting on the subway but why did I not apply those things to me? Well, those messages were delivered near me, but not at me. You follow me? See, this is what happens when we open the epistles. Because these are letters, we have to use a little bit of discernment to say is this particular letter, or is this part of the letter, or this one message within the letter, is this actually being directed to me, or is it being directed near me? For instance, when um, Paul tells Timothy to bring his cloak that he left with Carpus in Troas. Am I supposed to, as a faithful follower of Jesus, supposed to look up on the map where Troas is, find a guy named Carpus, and get a cloak? No. You see, in the epistles, there are certain general announcement kinds of things, just like when I'm sitting in the train station And there are announcements about maybe what stations are not open or when the next train is coming. There's some general announcements that are meant for everybody that I better pay attention to, right, when I'm reading the epistles. There are other messages inside the epistles, though, that are specifically targeted to specific people at certain occasions. And the discernment we have to use is something that's not that tough because we use this discernment all the time. When we're reading the newspaper or when we're sitting on the train, when we're watching television or looking at stuff online, we have to determine, is this message meant for me or for somebody else? You have two things that are going to help you in this. Uh, Jesus says, I promise that I give you my Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to help you learn this stuff. I'm going to help you apply. But second of all, he gives you a community. He gives you Christians, whether it's in a small group or it's here in a larger uh, church setting or worship gathering. Jesus says, I'm going to put you in community so you can have help discerning because it's not always that easy. There are just a couple of other things that I will say to you because I'm fast running out of time. If epistle is a letter, our dilemma is who is being addressed? So when I go to the epistles, I want to ask a couple questions. Who is being addressed? And because of that, I want to know a little bit of the history. What's going on in there? But then I want to ask this question. This is actually, there's a big word. This is called exegesis. Everybody say exegesis. It's not spelled Jesus like J-E-S-U-S, but exe, and then G-E-S-I-S. Exegesis is basically figuring out the intention of that author in history. Now you know a big word for the afternoon, all right? That's called exegesis, and their theologians, they spend a lot of time doing exegesis. Now here's the thing, exegesis, if you've ever heard just an exegetical sermon, they're usually really boring. They're dry as dust because you go into all this thing, and maybe a pastor's saying, well in the original Greek it meant this and this and this, and you get to the end of it and you go, well, that's it. Sometimes an exegetical or just exegesis can be dry as dust because where the, the excitement comes is in the application. It's figuring out its place in your life, maybe in, in your school or in your marriage or in a challenging situation you have at work. That's where exegesis um, takes on life. There are two other things I want to say to you. Martin Luther suggested that uh, you should keep four things in mind when you're going into Scripture. I'm not going to tell you all four. I'm going to tell you the first one that's most important. He says, when you actually go to the Word of God, believe it. Believe that this is what God's voice is trying to say to you. And then second of all, as you make application of that, Luther said, um, Scripture should be something that can be understood by the simplest Christian, not just by theologians and experts. And with this, he says then, if there is a passage that seems more obscure, he says, there's going to be another passage that's really clear and let the most clear passages of Scripture help interpret the stuff that is tougher to understand. And I remember times when I was in college, for instance, I would read something out of the Bible, and i go, I have no idea what that's talking about. And I would just have to let it alone for a while. I would just have to let it sit there, and then I'd go to some stuff. I'd go to gravitate maybe to the Gospels, and I'd read some things that were really clear that Jesus was talking about. And then later, if something would click. I'd go, oh, that's what that means. Because this clear thing over here is helping me understand this thing that's not so clear over on this side. The bottom line is this. The epistles are the word of God. Go to them expecting to hear the voice of God. Um, Ludwig Wittgenstein. Isn't that a good name? Ludwig Wittgenstein. or it would be Stein. I'm not sure. Uh, he actually said this. You can't hear God speak to someone else. You can hear him only if you are being addressed. And so the big question when you open the scriptures is ask this question. What is the Holy Spirit nudging me to believe, to do, to say, to spread? What's God saying to me? What's he whispering to me? Um, This is actually one of our uh, three questions that we have our small groups ask. What's God saying to me? What are you going to do about it? And how can we help you? If you haven't tried those three questions, maybe in your personal study, or maybe with your small group or accountability group, um, ask those questions. What's God saying to me? What am I going to do about it? And how can those people that God's put around me, how can they help me in this? So as uh, we move into the Lord's Supper, this is a promise where God says this is indeed true. You can count on it, and as I promise to be in my word, so also Jesus says, I am the word made flesh. And even as you prepare to come to the Lord's Supper today, believe already that God is at work in your life to forgive, to heal, to bring life. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for this word of yours. Uh, We say along with uh, Paul in Romans, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Uh, We we say along with Paul in Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to the world, but to those of us who are being saved, it is wisdom. Uh, We say along with Paul in Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I so, Lord Jesus, thank you for this. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that your word is practical, that your word can be eaten, that it can be lived out. And we do that. We ask for your Holy Spirit.